My heart feels peaceful. Such a beautiful video and extra beautiful with our Christmas decorations. Doesn't our campus look beautiful? And so I want to say a huge thanks to our team. A team of faithful church members has uh, spent many, many hours putting this campus together. So thank you. Thank you, team, for all your wonderful work. My name is Tim. I serve as our lead pastor. If this is your first time visiting E-Free Church, a special welcome to you. We hope that you will enjoy your visit here and, more importantly, experience the warmth of Jesus in this place. And I trust that you will. Now, uh, I was at our men's retreat uh, Friday night and yesterday, and uh, many of them are still making their way down. And it was an amazing weekend. Uh, I'm so thankful for our men's retreat, for our men's ministry, for our fearless leader, Rob Chang. It was really a special time. And so I know you were missing some of them here. Uh, um, moms and uh, wives, your husbands will be back soon, all right? And so <laughs> thanks for taking care of the kids all weekend long. Well, we're continuing in our series that we started last week, and the title of this morning's message is Light of the World, and that's only appropriate this time of the year, Light of the World. And we are in week two in this series through the Gospel of John that will take us to Christmas, and then through Christmas, and then into the new year. The Gospel of John was written by John. But to be even more specific, the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and John was one of the 12 disciples, and so was his brother James. And the Gospel of John is one of four Gospels found in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the other three. And last week, we said to you that if you were to sit down and read all four Gospels in their entirety in one sitting, what you would discover is... Wow, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they sound a lot alike. Many similar stories. In fact, some accounts are identical wording. John's gospel seems very different than the other three. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning a common perspective. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have such similar accounts. In fact, 90% of Mark's stories can be found in either Matthew or Luke. 90% of all the stories you see in Mark, you'll find in either Matthew or Luke. But what's really fascinating is 90% of John's gospel is unique. It's unique to his own gospel. I find that very fascinating. John's gospel is different in so many ways. You gave, we gave you some of those differences last week. But amongst all the differences, one that really stands out is that nowhere in John's gospel will you see any mention of parables. John doesn't include parables in his gospel. And there's a reason for that. Elsewhere in the gospels, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you speak so much in parables? Parables often left people feeling a little bit puzzled, confused. And Jesus answered his disciples, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So the reason why Jesus spoke in parables is because there were some 
who had rejected him. They did not receive him. And because of that, they didn't understand the truth. And so Jesus spoke in parables partly to conceal the truth from those who had already rejected him. Now, last week we said that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote their Gospels earlier than John did. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote primarily to emphasize the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish king had come, and he ushered in the kingdom of God. John wrote to a later generation. He wrote to a whole new generation of Christians and also to a whole new generation of people who had not yet heard the gospel. And so for John, he was so focused on revealing, not concealing. So you don't see any mention of parables. He wants to reveal the light of the world. And so the word believe is a prominent word in the gospel of John. And by way of review, remember the purpose of the gospel of John is found in four words in case you forgot. Those four words are right there as part of our series title, That You May Believe. That is the purpose of the Gospel of John, that you may believe. So as that again as our backdrop, we're going to pick up in chapter 1. And today we're going to be in verses 9 through 13. Now, if you were here last week, in message number 1, we looked at verses 1 through 5. But we're going to jump over verses 6, 7, and 8. We're going to come back to 6, 7, and 8 next week and also talk about the second half of the first chapter. But today, we're going to leapfrog those verses and go to verses 9 through 13 because this passage, in many ways, is a continuation of verses 1 through 5. So, chapter 1 of John. I'll begin in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This morning's message is all about light. Light is so important in every walk of life. Back when I was doing photography, one of my biggest passions in the world of photography was talking about the subject of lighting. I kept murmuring to myself all the day long, lighting is everything, lighting is everything. Lighting is so important that light can make or break a photo or a video. You know, so whether you are using a huge camera with a big lens or your phone, light is a thing that often makes the difference. Light can make or break a photo or a video. You know, so much goes into making a picture look uh, good. And did you know that what makes a picture look good oftentimes are all the elements that you don't see in the frame? So outside the frame of the camera lens, you see big lights, light stands, reflectors, and umbrellas. All those things you don't see in the final product 
they go into making that final product look so good. Now, do me a favor. Next time you see a pharmaceutical commercial, you know those pharmaceutical commercials, right? They're, they're on all the time. So the next time you watch a pharmaceutical commercial, I want you to do me a favor. Study the lighting of that commercial. Look closely at the light of that commercial. It is flawless. It is perfect. And that's because pharmaceutical companies, they have so much money that they can pour so much money into making sure their product looks its best so that we will go out and purchase that prescription drug, right? And so they pour all this money into their commercials, and that's why the lighting is so bright. It's so pure, right? And so when you see people in bathtubs out in the forest, have you seen that commercial? For those of you who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. So, so when you see people out in nature walking along, the light is perfect because they want to shine the best light on their product. That's all by design. You know, oftentimes when Joanne and I would walk into a restaurant or to any building, into the foyer, into a museum, I would just kind of look around. And to this day, no matter what building I walk into, I just kind of look at the light. And so I'm just looking and studying. And without me even mentioning anything, Joanne will look at me, looking at the surroundings, and then she'll say, good light? And I'll say, yes. She can read my mind. Good light? Yes. Good light. And sometimes when we're sitting at a restaurant, we're looking at each other, I'm looking into her eyes, and, you know, she has beautiful eyes. I'm looking, of course, but uh, I'm also looking at the catch lights from, the, from the, the light that's coming in. And so it's, it's just, you know, it's just wonderful because lighting makes a difference. Lighting is so important when you do your makeup, right? And you need to have good, even lighting in your bathroom, in your uh, bedroom, so that you don't put your makeup on and walk outside and look at your makeup in another mirror and go, whoa, it doesn't look like what I thought it looked in my own bedroom or my own bathroom. That's why people devote so much time making sure that they have the right light on their mirror and the right color light on their mirror. Lighting is so important. Night lights are critical to preventing stubbed toes in the middle of the night. Lighting is so important that we could not survive without light. Well, today's passage is all about light. John loved talking about the subject of light. Throughout the Gospel of John, throughout his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, throughout Revelation, he talks so much about light and about the difference between light versus darkness. I'm going to repeat something that I said last Sunday. Now, when I say light of the world, when I say who is the light of the world, and in this season, we know, you know the answer, who the light of the world is. Okay, just hold that thought. Last week, I said to you that when you read the first chapter of John, the name of Jesus is not even mentioned until verse 17. That's a lot of verses that come before the name of Jesus is even mentioned. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
Now, as we read the first several verses, it's almost like we, we are in on the secret, right? We, we know if you've been in church long enough, if you've heard uh, the gospel message, if you've read through John 1, you know who the light is. You know who the Word is. In the beginning was the Word. And it's almost like we're saying, it's Jesus. John, I have the answer. It's Jesus. The Word was with God. It's Jesus. The Word was God. John, we know Jesus is God. The light shines in the darkness. John, Jesus is the light. John, I know the answer. It's Jesus. But here's what I want you to do now. Put yourself in the shoes of those in the ancient world reading this ancient scroll for the first time. Look again at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world. Now keep in mind, this is verse 10. The name of Jesus hasn't even been mentioned yet. He was in the world. And through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Put yourself in the shoes of the person in the ancient world reading this for the first time, they were probably thinking to themselves, yes, John, we're tracking with you. We know the concept of logos. Remember last Sunday, I introduced you to the term logos. Logos is Greek for word. So logos is a Greek word that means word. In the beginning was the logos. And we said that Logos had deep roots in both Jewish and Greek thinking. Jewish rabbis, they equated the word of God with God himself. So this meant something to the Jewish rabbis. In the beginning was the word. It also meant something to Greek philosophers because Logos was the power that brought order to the world from chaos to order. And so imagine you're reading this ancient document and you're like, yes, John, we know about logos. We teach about it. We think about it. We talk about it. But you see, even though they knew about logos, they did not recognize the word. Jesus Christ. You see, they missed all the signs. They missed all the words of prophecy that were told about the word, the light of the world in the Old Testament. We're going to look at those signs later on as we approach Christmas. So some just missed him. He came into the world. But some, they did not know. They did not recognize him. They did not receive him. And then others, they just flat out rejected him. One author described this rejection in a very vivid and creative story. I'm going to ask you to picture a scene. Okay? I'm going to ask you to use your imagination here. I'm going to describe to you a scene as written by an author who creatively described this situation in John 1. And he wrote a story. And the title of the story is called The Visited Planet. Okay? And so here's the scene. A senior angel 
is talking with a junior angel. So an older angel talking to a younger angel. And the older senior angel is trying to explain to the junior angel why the earth is such an important place in the universe. Okay, so are you thinking about that right now? Okay, picture two angels, however you picture angels. Think about two angels in your mind right now. And so as the older angel is talking with the junior angel, trying to describe to him why the earth is so important, the junior angel is bored. And he comments that the earth seems rather small and dirty to him, like a dingy tennis ball. Okay, so my dog turns every ball into a dingy tennis ball. So picture the junior angel sees the earth as a dingy, dirty ball. What's so special about that ball, asked the junior angel. That, replied the senior angel, is the visited planet. That ball has been visited by our young prince of glory. But how, asked the younger angel, do you mean that our great and glorious prince, with all these wonders and splendors of his creation, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do such a thing like that? It isn't for us, said the senior angel, to question his whys, except that he is not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose he could visit them? The little angel wrinkled his face in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? By the way, that's us, right? We're all the creeping, crawling creatures. I do. And I don't think he would like you calling them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. And he went down to visit them, to lift them up, to be like him. Now the story goes on to talk about how the people of the visited planet responded to the Prince of Glory. They failed to recognize him for who he was, or at least only a handful knew him. For the most part, they preferred their darkness to his light, and in the end, they crucified him. Now, when the younger angel heard this, he blurts out, the fools, the crazy fools, they don't deserve. And just then, he's cut off by the senior angel who says, yes, no one can explain why they were so wicked or why they killed the prince of glory. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. You know the phrase, he came unto his own? It can be translated this way. Ready? The phrase, he came unto his own, it is literally translated, he came home. 
he came home. But they did not receive him. During Thanksgiving week, some of your family members who were away, they came home. Some of your kids who were away at college, they came home. Maybe you have loved ones who work far away. They came home. That's what happens this time of the year. And here's the thing. No matter how long you've been away from home, no matter how far away you've been from home, home is always home, right? When you go home, home is always home. That's why there's no place like home. Home is where you can relax. Home is where you can kick your feet up on the furniture. Home is where you let your guard down. And hopefully, home is where you'll be accepted. But with Jesus, not only did he come home, He came home to a place he created only to be rejected. He came home to the place he created only to be rejected. He went to his hometown. He went to his family. And they did not want him. What what parent would see his or her college kid coming home for the break on the doorstep with a huge bag of laundry and say, sorry, no room here for you. That's silly. Home, right? Home is where you can show up any time of the day or night, right? Any time of the day or night. And you know that the door will open and you will be accepted. That's what home is. And so Jesus went to the very place he created only to be rejected. And not only rejected, crucified. They didn't want him. They didn't believe him. And in the end, they killed him. So John wrote this. He wrote this to a new generation of Christians partly to give them hope. He also wrote this to a new generation of those who had not yet heard the gospel. And here's the thing. He wants to bring good news. And here's the good news. Look at verse 12. Yet, in spite of, to all who did receive him, to those who, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Yes, John said, he came to his own. He went home. He was rejected by many, but not everybody rejected him. Some received him. Now, put yourself in the shoes, once again, of the ancient people reading this ancient document. They just heard the greatest injustice. Jesus went home, and he was rejected by his own. But John says, no, wait a minute. I've got good news for you. 
And he encouraged them, and he's encouraging us today. Because when we talk about a new generation of Christians, that also includes us as New Testament believers. John has good news. He encourages us with these words. That whoever believes in the name of Jesus, we are given the right to become a child of God. If you want to know what belief means in the book of John, it means this. That we put our faith, our trust, and our reliance in Jesus. That's what it means to believe. Our faith, our trust, our reliance. And when we put our faith in Jesus, he does something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Are you familiar with the idiom, turn over a new leaf? Have you ever heard that? Turn over a new leaf. By the way, that does have, it has nothing to do with gardening, okay? So it's not raking your leaves, okay? Turning over a new leaf basically means, you know what? I'm going to start to behave better, right? So someone might say, well, I haven't been that responsible at work. I haven't been a good student. I haven't been a good parent. But I'm going to turn over a new leaf now. And the idea is this. That idiom, it comes from the 16th century. When a person turns over a new leaf, what that means is that person's turning the page. Because back in the 16th century, a page was referred to as a leaf. So I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to say bye to that chapter, and I'm going to do better now. Turn over a new leaf. Well, guess what? That is not what it means to receive Jesus. To receive Jesus is not to do better. To receive Jesus is not saying, I'm going to be a better person, a better worker, student, wife, husband, parent. One pastor says this, it is not self-reformation. It's complete surrender unto God. And then he does something in you that you could never, ever do for yourself. That's what belief is. It's not self-reformation, it's complete surrender unto God, and then he does something in you that you could never, ever do for yourself. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ here this morning, here's what happened at the moment that you believed in his name. And it's critical that we understand what happened. The very moment you and I believed in the name of Jesus, here's what happened. We were adopted into the family of God. Here at our church, we have some families who have adopted. So they, they know firsthand. They know firsthand this idea of adoption into the family of God. In the United States, here's what happens when a child is adopted. When a child is legally adopted, what happens is it forms this parent-child relationship between parents and children who are not related by blood, and the adopted child is then entitled 
to all privileges belonging to a natural child of the adopted parents, including the right to inherit. And that is very important. So, the natural child of the parents can never say to the adopted child, that is not fair. I should have the bigger inheritance. The natural child can never say that. Because by definition, when a child is legally adopted, he or she enjoys every privilege that the natural child enjoys. That's why I think earthly adoption is really such a beautiful, perfect picture of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you are a child of God this morning, you've been adopted into the family of God. Every one of us. Not by natural descent. Not by our will. And just so you know, that adoption, it does something else. It makes us a child of God, and it also makes us siblings. <laughs> yes, we are all related. Now, does that mean that we'll always get along? No. Because siblings don't always get along. As I was preparing this this past week, I kept thinking back to my childhood. And uh, I had this friend, a close friend of mine. I spent a lot of time at his house just down the street. He had a sister. And the two of them had this very kind of like violent relationship. <laughs> they would chase each other around the dining room table to no end. They just kept chasing each other, chasing, screaming, pulling hair. We all have our moments, right? So no sibling relationship is perfect. We won't always get along. In fact, some, they have sibling rivalries. But in the end, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why, literally, we, you know, in church, when we use churchy language, right, we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, okay? The reality is that is Accurate, because we are siblings if we are children of God. And that's why we talk so much about community in the church. We talk so much about this concept called community. Being part of a group is not only beneficial, it is absolutely critical. It's critical for our spiritual health. If you are not part of a community here, if you're not part of a group here at our church, I, I encourage you, I ask you, reach out to our church office, office at efreedb.org. Send an email, go onto our website, browse the website. If you're not part of a group here at our church, it is vital that you become part of a group. When we come to church on Sunday mornings, we sit in rows. Now, rows is important for certain aspects of church. So we worship in rows. 
So we come in rows, you sit down, and for the most part, you listen to one person. And that's important because some have been appointed to preach and teach the Word of God. And that's important. That's an important part of our corporate worship. And so we worship in rows. But church also happens in circles. You know that. Church doesn't only happen in rows. Church must also happen in circles because when you sit in a circle, here's what happens. You look each other in the eye, and as you share, you encourage one another, you inspire one another, you even cry with one another, and you pray for one another. So if you are accustomed to coming here to church, we're glad, we're thankful. But if you, all you do is sit in rows, we encourage you to take the next step and start sitting in a circle. Find a group. This past weekend, our men, we did both. We sat in rows and we sat in circles. And both were precious times. I want to just show you a couple pictures. Here's a picture of us sitting in a row. These are rows of men. We sat in rows as we listened to the Word of God. Our guest speaker, Pastor Brian Haney from Hillside Church in Rywood, he brought the Word. He faithfully taught the Word of God. It was powerful. He brought meat, substance. And we sat in rows listening. But that's not all we did. If we did that 24 hours a day, it'd be very one-dimensional. So after we sat in rows, then we sat in circles. Because you have to sit in circles when you roast marshmallows and make s'mores. And it was wonderful. We sat in circles, roasting marshmallows, making s'mores, but just talking and encouraging one another in circles. And then this final, final picture. On Saturday morning, we took a hike up Soldier Mountain. Saw the sun rise. And there's a cross at the top, and you can't really make it out, but, but we're, we're standing in a messy circle. It's not a perfect circle, because not all circles are perfect. But uh, So there we are, and there's our fearless leader, Rob Chang, and he's, he's like this, right there. You see him? And he's encouraging us, inspiring us with a devotional. Okay, as we gathered around and stood there at the top of the mountain. I enjoyed my time with our men at the retreat. It was special. It was really absolutely special because we got to learn God's word in rows and we got to love one another in circles. And so when you come into the family of God, you're adopted as a child of God, but then you gain all these siblings. Now, for some of you who grew up as an only child, okay, what that means is this. Okay, so there's a different dynamic when you're an only child, right? I don't know. I wasn't an only child. But I've heard. When you're an only child, it's a different dynamic than when you have siblings. But when you are adopted into the family of God, you automatically become a sibling. And no longer are you an only child. That means that uh, once upon a time when you used to, you know, have make-believe friends, right? Now you have real friends, <laughs> You have a real community. So no matter how you grew up, with many siblings or just yourself, 
When you're adopted into the family of God and you become a child of God, you become a brother and a sister in Christ. So come and sit in rows on Sundays. During the week, sit in circles and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I should say this also, that if you are visiting, maybe you've been coming to church, and you're, you're not quite sure what that means, what it looks like to believe in Jesus. Maybe you've just been coming, and you've been curious, and you're exploring, and you're not quite there. Can I say thank you? Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here, and keep coming. Because no matter what part of the journey you're on, no matter where you are, it's important that we come together, sit in rows, and even if you're not quite there to believe in Jesus yet, to give your life to him, come out to a group. Sit in on a group and sit there and just, just observe people and listen to their lives. And I guarantee it, when you listen to people's lives, you will see the light of Jesus. That's where you will see his light shine. And so I encourage you to come on out and sit in circles. In a few moments, we're going to share in communion. Here at E-Free Church, we partake in communion on the first Sunday of every month. If you're visiting for the first time, or maybe you've been here for a little while, and you're not a member of our church, you don't have to be a member of E-Free Church to participate in communion. We do ask this, though, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If communion is unfamiliar to you, it's okay to pass. But here's the thing. How can I preach on this passage and not invite you to believe in Jesus, right? I would absolutely do God's word injustice if I preached this passage and not said to you, you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus today. I can't think of a better day. Today could be the day where you give your faith, your trust, and your reliance and place them on Jesus. Today could be the day where you say, you know what? I am tired of trying to be a better person. I'm, trying, I'm tired of trying to turn over a new leaf. Today, I completely surrender my life to Jesus. Today could be the day where you give your faith to him, and then you could celebrate with communion. Would you bow with me? In a moment, we're going to invite you to one of the four stations to gather your elements. After you gather your elements, please go back to your seat, and you can prepare it by turning it upside down to access your wafer. And then turn the cup back, right side up, and then gently peel back the top layer for the juice. But before we dismiss you to those tables, if you would like to give your life to Jesus today, and start an everlasting relationship with the Savior. I invite you just to say these words along with me. You can say, Jesus, 
I believe in you. I believe in you. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. And today I give my life to him. I no longer have to try to be better or to do better. I give my life in complete surrender to Jesus Christ today. Thank you for saving me. If you pray that, I trust that today is a new day. I trust that you've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you pray that prayer, and if you are so uh, bold enough to do so, would you come up to me afterward and just share that news with me because I want to celebrate with you. And, in fact, if you don't want to wait, and if you just want to show me that you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand and I can celebrate with you. If you pray that prayer, I invite you just to raise your hand so I know that I can celebrate with you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son, the light of the world. We also acknowledge that one day in the future, he's going to come back for us. Until that time, we have the opportunity to be the light in this world.